and welcome to the LYF podcast. This podcast is provided to you by the Love Yourself Foundation, which is an organization here to help spread the message of love and more specifically self-love and the powerful ripple effect that has in not only building better relationships with other people, but ultimately building a more harmonious and stronger connection with Mother Earth. We're here to tell you that we're all one. All living beings are connected to each other, to Mother Earth, to the universe. So we're going to be talking about important topics like mental health, environmental issues, and tying it all back into the self and ways that you can help improve the relationship with yourself to, again, empower yourself so you can empower your community and empower our beautiful planet. If you like what you hear, please hit subscribe. Also, you can check us out on Facebook, Instagram at The LY Foundation. You can also check out our website at thelyfoundation.com. Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the LYF podcast. Monica here, and I have my good friends and teammates with me today, Rachel and Maymay. Hi. (laughs) Hello. And we're super excited because we're going to be talking about this month's theme, which is all about accountability and community action and just how self-accountability goes hand in hand, not only with what you do for yourself, but the actions that you can take for positive and progressive change in your community. So we're just going to get right to it. So the first question and topic I want us to chat about is for us to kind of go over our personal stories. What made each of us an activist and when was that turning point as to the why? The why that you became the person that you are that cares about the issues that you care about. Who would like to go first? I can start. So it's weird to think about becoming an activist because I just think of it as doing the things that I'm passionate about or sharing with the world the things that I'm passionate about and care about, which is people being empowered to use their voices. And that can translate in a lot of different ways. I think I would say it doesn't start, I I don't think there was um, a particular moment for me where I've been thinking about this question and I always go back, I circle back to my teachers. I always think about my teachers because when I think about it, they were the ones who always encouraged me to write and to read. And I did have a teacher in particular who who made us do this like poetry competition in high school. I'd never been on stage for that before and we were just reading other people's poetry but I realized that it was something that I was good at and I was a writer so when I went to college I was just inspired because I wanted I just wanted to do spoken word and then I joined Poets Club and I think that that was like the turning point for my activism because I saw it and I went there and I saw it as a platform to talk about mental health and to talk about the things that have happened to me that aren't all that pretty and to unfold trauma and like but and share it with other people because it was it felt so safe and i think that that was the turning point for me like using that encouragement and using the talent that i had to do something that i cared about because 
I care about, like, of course, like, I care about my mental health, but I also care about teaching others about mental health because I do, I have seen other people around me, even like my parents, um, my dad, he, so like, this is when I think about you can start to be an activist from the ground up because when I think about my dad, I think, oh, this wasn't, this was like a personal relationship to me, but I started going to therapy and I was very open about it. And my dad has actually seen some of my poetry, which was very scary at first, but he started going to therapy recently. What? And that's, that's crazy because my dad has never believed in therapy. That's um, yeah. And, and it's stuff like that. Like you, you can make a difference in the world through people and just through doing the things that you care about because they see it and they feel that energy and they learn that that's there and that it exists. And that is why I became an activist because I realized that I have a bigger impact and that I think, and it can be incredibly positive. And now, now my dad's going to therapy and it just makes me really happy because I talked to him about it and I was like, oh, what made you start going? He's like, you. And that's just everything I, I needed, really. <laughs> that's so powerful. I'm proud of him. <laughs> I'm so yeah, proud of him. Absolutely. It takes a lot of strength really to go, right? And especially when, you know, the older generations, it's a little bit harder for them to be like, yeah, this can actually help me. So that's amazing, Mei Mei. Thank you for sharing that. It's, mm-hmm. yeah, really important to see people's like individual journeys and, you know, the the small changes that they can make in their own life, like maybe without even considering it an, an act of activism. Yeah, I would say I started in high school when it always starts with an English teacher. And my English teacher is was Mrs. Carbonell, or Carbs for short. And she was my English teacher for a semester, and I ended up having her for my entire senior year. But this was kind of as I was getting more invested in topics I was passionate about, like environmental sustainability. I was head of the like wildlife conservation club at my school. And then I started attending and was like a regular member of our feminist club too. And just kind of like starting to come into my own as as my interests reflected like the clubs I participated in. And then Miss Carbonell showed me a couple authors that she thought I would enjoy because I really loved to write and I loved to write poetry. And it was senior junior senior years were the first years that we were allowed to kind of experiment with the writing we wanted to do instead of, you know, there's just the typical narrative or five paragraph essay or things like that. So I was really branching out and kind of learning my voice. And so she introduced me to first Audrey Lord. And Audrey Lord likes to name herself as a feminist warrior poet. And as soon as I heard those three words, I'm pretty sure it was all over for me because I was like, yes, that is that is what I'm going to be. I'm going to be a feminist, a warrior, and a poet. And she obviously adds other eponyms, like she adds feminist, warrior, poet, mother, like all the things she is. 
And so I just loved that kind of way of, of nomenclature of yourself and kind of that power of declaring yourself something. And I read more of her writing and I got into other activists in that same vein. Like I started reading Adrian Rich, who's an, another poet of that era. And I just saw something in them that I was touched by in a way that nothing had ever really touched me. And I think it was because of the power of their words. Like one of the first things I ever cried while reading, like other than, you know, the stuff I cried while reading when I was a kid was Giovanni's Room by James Baldwin. And so these writers have kind of gained a home in my heart. And I used to think like, oh, all I have are these words. I can't do anything with words. Like I can maybe make people laugh or cry or, you know, think, but I can't, I can't do anything with these words. And then I, reading them, I learned that's not the case because they're doing so much with just their words. And and they're also being activists out in the, the regular daylight when they're not writing. And so it was just, um, it was interesting to me to see how, identity became part of that, became part of the activism. Like you can't just be into feminism. You can be a feminist. You don't have to just be into, you know, civil rights. You can be a civil rights activist. And that was a really important, you know, threshold for me to cross. And so I I definitely owe, I'd have to say Audre Lorde is the one that, that started it. So I'd have to say that was, that was the most like substantial turning point in me becoming an activist. And obviously it's, it's been great to read more and more people, but those are definitely where it all started. That's amazing. I love that we have the environment in common, Rachel. <laughs> oh yeah. I was big into environmental sustainability. Like I held, um, I helped with the green challenges where we tried not to use like power in dorms as much and like did some fundraising and stuff. And it was, yeah, it was, it was really good. I, I have a lot of my good zero waste habits from there still, because I just was trying to be as sustainable as possible in a, an environment that was like kind of conducive to it. That's amazing. I love it. Well, thanks so much for sharing Rachel and the, the power of words, right. And the power of, uh, vulnerability and just sticking up for what one feels is right. And I think that's like the activist spirit, right? It's really beautiful. I I think for me, like I've always liked that about myself, but there's been definitely moments in my life where I I think I gave way too much. And that's when like I got honestly slapped in the face. And we'll get that, we'll get that, you know, we'll get into that later, but to, you know, getting so into the work that you forget yourself and that, you know, like I said, we'll get back more into that later. But for me, it all started when I was a little kid. I read this book called The Great Kapok Tree and I read it when I was eight years old. And even back before that, I think the movie Ferngully, some of us might remember that movie, was uh, a cartoon animation about... pretty much the deforestation of the rainforest. And that's what these two stories have in common. And with the great Kapok tree, what happens in that story is that a man is about to cut down this incredible tree in the middle of the rainforest. And he ends up falling asleep next to the tree. And so when he's sleeping, all the different insects, animals that live in this tree pretty much tell him why he shouldn't cut it down. So you get to hear the perspective from all these different critters. And at the end of the story, he doesn't cut it down. And what the author did that was super empowering and impactful was that she wrote to her readers. She pretty much said, 
that we can be the change if we want to be, you know, to believe in, in goodness and believe in positive change. And when I was a little kid, I just, it just didn't register why we were cutting down our life force, you know, the trees are the lungs of the planet. And and so from that, from then on, I knew like I just had this innate love for the planet. And then when I, I, I was in art school my whole life, so always a lover of arts and music and all that. But I knew that when I was going to go to college that I was going to dedicate my time to learning about environmental science. And I, that's when I really got involved. And then that's when I really I got to see how my passion was my driving force. As much as education is super important, but that spirit behind your action, your intention is is what drives you forward. And so that was it for me, really. And I always knew that I was going to be a voice for the people that, or for the beings that don't have a voice. And then now as a mental health advocate, it, through my own you know journey of overcoming depression, anxiety, and all that stuff, I saw another disconnect, you know, like why aren't we having these conversations? Why aren't we sticking up for each other when we're all some way, shape, or form are struggling with something? And so when through my mental health journey, and then I then became another voice too for, for the people. And because I, I would have to say that I was kind of your stereotypical environmentalist back in the day where I like hated humans. And, and it's funny because now I'm not, I'm not like that at all. You know, I, it all, it's all connected, you know, like our mental health is, a, is so important and imperative and the restoration of, of all of, of our planet, of our community and ourselves. So, so yeah, it was all of that culminated together. And now I'm a mental health activist and an environmentalist. <laughs> that's great because those go hand in hand. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's what we you know we're putting forward with OIF. And so it's, it's all connected, all of it. So, so yeah. So now, you know, I kind of mentioned how I even at, at a certain point, I lost myself in my work. And that's what kind of made me more aware of how important it is to take care of yourself. So let's get into that. Let's get into that topic of how has personal growth and self-care allowed you to be an even more active member in the community? I would like to go. I can go again. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. So I personally did not think that I had to go to therapy. <laughs> When I first started college, I didn't go into college because that was when when it was free and available to me because my school had such an awesome counseling program. Um, it was called CAPS. And you just go in, make an appointment, and they'll if it's an emergency, they'll set you up like right away. If it's not, then like they'll just go to a counselor. I eventually went to a therapist, but I did start off with counseling. And it just it took a lot of time. And I, I don't think I looking back, like I I didn't think of how long it took, but I would say that it took took a couple a couple years for me to get more comfortable with talking about what I was talking about or to to form the words because because when it comes to poetry, you can um, hide everything in metaphors and in writing in general. Like you could just hide it in in fantasy and story and everything like that. And I can't. I came to a point where I didn't want to do that anymore, mainly because I took this spoken word class. And the main point of it what, when showing your work was show, don't 
tell. Like, show us who you are, show us your story through whatever means necessary. So it's so I ended up doing a piece where I impersonated my family and I sang in the middle of it. And I just said a lot of things that I did not think that I would say ever on a stage in my entire life in front of a full house. Like we had so many people in that theater that it was kind of a fire hazard. There were people in the aisles, there were people on the stairs, mm-hmm. like in between the seats and standing. And there were just so many people. And I, I don't think that I would have been able to do any of that if I hadn't been one going to therapy during that time period. And two, I did start taking antidepressants because what I, what I went to a psychiatrist and I was and my therapist, they, they diagnosed me with panic disorder and major depressive disorder. So it's so when I was able to like put a name to what I had and to what the, my entirety of my life has accumulated into, I was able to talk about it more, at least in, in a more public sense. Because I, of course, I... I talked about it in like my poets club meetings and like a therapy with my friends and everything. I was very open about those things. And, and I also, another, another turning point for me was um, going to group therapy with other women. And that was like something like clicked for me because when I saw that these other women like were taking antidepressants, doing the things that like practicing self-care, doing, even doing like anti, well not anti, but like anxiety calming exercises and things while we were in therapy. Cause like <laughs> one, of, one of my friends, she actually, um, things got really intense and she just started sitting on the ground and she she put her hand on the floor and then she was like, I just need to ground myself right now. And when I saw her do that and I saw her like take that time for herself because she knew what she needed, I realized what I needed was one, to take care of myself, but also to share this with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started a mental health blog on my Instagram. It was a very small thing, but I did. I started doing Dear Journal. I was doing this already by myself, like um, in my room on paper and in my notes. But I started doing this Dear Journal so that other people could read it and see how my mental health was like going up and down constantly, and to see that that is completely normal and it's it's a constant struggle but it's also like nice to see that like see a person you know and i i have gotten messages from my friends and stuff that like the things that i say are helpful to them to see that someone else or someone is going through this and and i think that when i hear stuff like that i i realize that that i I did become a mental health advocate, whether it was creatively. My friends started coming to me about their anxiety and what they should do. Um, Like even um, I was also a part of disability um, services. I, I did not sign up for it until junior year of my college. And when I think about it, that would have helped so much because depressive episodes are up and down, anxiety, does incapacitate people and like if I just had someone to write my notes (laughs) that 
would just take so much weight off because like you're trying to go to school and you're trying to work and you're trying to be like a, an active person in the community. It's, it's really hard to do all those things. So when my friends started coming to me about like what resources do does the school have? What resources can I like look up for myself? Like that was so incredible because I realized that because I spoke out about these things, I made myself a resource mm-hmm. in itself. Yeah. And and it took a lot of um, like learning my own value. Yeah. Like learning that I I did matter and that my voice is there. I don't need to find my voice. I just need to use it. And learning that I was worthy of that was the only way that I could become more active in the community because then I believed in myself and like I became um, president of the Poets Club and I commanded the space. And it just, it's, it's really important to like take yourself in and to provide shelter for yourself and to like feed yourself and give yourself some warm blankets and you just need to provide yourself with the tools because you're not going to be able to go out and share your experience with people if you don't believe in what you're saying. Exactly. Thank you, Mimi. It's so true. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's very similar to, to my journey with that because I I also had a sort of turning point and it was when I realized that I was going to be no help to anybody if I didn't get help for myself. Mm-hmm. And like, I spent a lot of time being depressed and saying I wasn't depressed, being anxious and saying I wasn't anxious. And all this time, like struggling so hard just to stay above water and be functioning. And then like, like not sleeping, not getting homework done. And then going out and and pretending and being social and like going to all these clubs and participating in all these events (laughs) and then like just running on like less than fumes and almost being like delirious with the lack of energy that I had but still still going through all the motions Mm -hmm. and yeah it really like it started to eat away at me and I became not someone who was like a a compassionate like resource or someone that people felt they could turn to. It was more like I was just kind of like like volatile almost because I was angry whenever something new came up. I was angry about it. Like whenever I read the news, I couldn't read the news without getting upset and angry and like having to having to force myself to do something productive instead of just sit there and let my emotions just catastrophize me um and like catastrophize the world I was living in Mm -hmm. and so I kind of had to be like I can't be such a hypocrite anymore I can't like I can't I can't advocate for like mental health. I can't be part of the Active Minds Club if I'm not going to go use these resources. I'm like shoving at people to tell them to use. Why would they trust me if I won't use them? Like why why would people trust me to be an advocate if I can't get help for myself? And so that was part of it. But then it was also like, how can I be a good activist and how can I make sustainable change if I'm not like being sustainable with my emotions and my energy like I'm just going to implode basically like I'm a dying star at this point and so it took a lot for me to get 
to the point of being like, no, it's, it's okay to get help and it's okay to, it's okay to not like the minute you read some news, be out on the street like that, that can't always happen. And so I had to kind of realize that it's not all about the like showy displays of solidarity. Sometimes it's the like little stuff. It's about stopping conversations you hear and being like, hey, let's like unpack this a little bit more. It's about advocating for change in your immediate circle as opposed to, you know, hoping that something you do will make it to CNN and make some change because ultimately that that doesn't lead to change. Protesting is a great way to show, express an emotion, but really it's about the people who go home from protesting and organize and, and make change and advocate for structural change. And so realizing that kind of mellowed me out a little bit along with you know, finally admitting I, I need to seek out help. Yeah. 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 Agreed. <laughs> I know that it resonates so much. And it, yeah, admitting that you need help because as people, I think, you know, I could in general sense, right, as folks that give a lot to the community can often forget about our needs and we forget that we're human. And I know I went through that. You know, I, I gave myself for like probably from like from 21 to 27 I was like super committed to all the things I was doing like I was when I was a junior I led a campaign at UNLV called Take Back the Tap and uh, to reduce bottled water and it was really great because it showed me what I was capable of and it was great like I'm super proud of my work and all the work that came after but it was like constantly like on the go on the go on the go in the middle of all that I was already exposed to yoga, but I wasn't doing it as a practice. I was doing it maybe every, maybe a couple times a month. And I wasn't atten- uh, really paying attention to my, what I was eating. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't really, I was not taking care of myself. And in two, 2016 and 2017, that, that's the, that was the beginning of the darkest period of my, of my life, which lasted like, you know, about a year. And then that year, you know, I was, I was met with depression and panic attacks. I had a near-death experience. I went through suicidal thoughts. So it was all this darkness that what I think happened was what I, it was always, it all, it all, you know, timing is everything, but I think everything that I wasn't paying attention to just caught up to me to where I, I couldn't ignore it anymore. And, and I had already gone to therapy. You know, I, I started therapy when I was 18. And so I was like off and on with it at that point. But that was when I really started to say, well, like if I, if I don't take care of myself, I can't, I cannot do the work that I care about. And like you said, Rachel, I felt that way too about feeling like I was a dying star. Um, you know, here I was like giving, 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 and I wasn't giving it back to me. And so I realized through all of that, that, uh, yeah, if I wasn't taking care of myself, how was how was I going to take care of other people or the planet or anything? So it was about finding that balance, and I was out of balance. <laughs> you know, the habits I was ha- I, I had, it just wasn't it wasn't aligned. So I'm really grateful to think back to that dark period because it it showed me it showed me so much darkness. <laughs> I, I you know it showed me so much to understand like life is about finding balance and there's going to be dark periods, but it's about what are you doing to help yourself through that so you can continue to give and also learn in those dark moments. 
And uh, yeah, so I burned out heavily <laughs> to the point where it kind of touched upon what you were saying, Maymay. Like there, I remember when I was at the peak of my, when the panic attacks were like at the absolute worst, I couldn't, I couldn't move. I remember I just couldn't even function and it scared me so much. I was so afraid and I felt so alone. You know, I felt like I, and then what's so great though, is as I really started again to take care of and pay and take accountability of my healing, I started to realize that I wasn't alone. You know, I started talking about the anxiety and all of it and realizing like so many people have gone through it or are going through it. it, it that like, when I, when I started to speak out about it, I was like, I was, I was flabbergasted. I was like, holy moly, this <laughs> is a problem. <laughs> so Yeah. I'm glad that you you touched upon the fact that anxiety is so hard to get through. You just you freeze. It's it's tough. And Rachel, I'm really glad that you talked about uh, keeping up a social life in college because that was really hard. I th- and like so much drinking, and it so makes it drinking. all worse. It makes it all so much worse. <laughs> I'm like, why? Like you know, you have anxiety and depression, so like you drink and then you exacerbate it. Ah, ah, the binge drinking culture. Ah, <laughs> yeah, it's other can of worms. <laughs> but I guess yeah, this ties in well now with us talking about. So, what are these self care practices that you that we all use that help you stay accountable for yourself? That helps you get out of like that burnout and helps you manage to never have to experience burnout again. Yeah, there was. I I remember this so, so clearly too. I think this was, I had two jobs. I was taking, I was taking 18 units, which like the average is usually like 16. So I was taking a little bit more than I usually was. And all of my classes were for my major or for my minor. And I was keeping an active social life. I was planning like our showcase and our like open mics. And I was trying to do workshops. And um, I got off work when, and I would, I just had a mental breakdown. I just, I just couldn't do it like I I got off work I was gonna like take my little scooter home but I just couldn't do it like just just scooting home was too much so I sat down on a bench and I cried and I I don't remember this exactly I think I was texting my friend because like we were gonna he was dropping off something to me and um it was Ignacio. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if you remember Ignacio. I, Monica. Do, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he he came and the and then like I called him. He's like, "Do you need me to pick you up?" I was like, "Oh no, I don't. I don't want you to go through the trouble." And he's like, "I'm gonna pick you up." So he he like drove. It wasn't that far. I worked on campus, but he drove to me, and I just broke down in his car and I was just I just started crying and talking about all the things that I was like going through because I I don't think I was talking to anybody then therapy wise like I went through these these um, ups and downs like I would go to therapy think I'm okay and then I like crash and then I have to go again like I always waited until I crashed which was a really bad idea but he basically broke it down and he's he said you can't do everything 
you need to rely on your team. We are your team. We're your family and we're your friends. And like you can count on us. If you need to take a break and if you need to step back from meetings, then you can. Like your health is most important. And I t- and part of me really didn't want to do that, <laughs> even though I knew that like I, I needed to do that because I was just trying to do so much. But what helped me was to rely on my friends because they're because uh, like we had this core team. So like I was a president, but we I had like a VP and other officers. So I had like a whole like backing. So what I had to do was release my control to gain control. And that boggled my mind because I, I did not want to do that. I did not want to release control over everything because that was like the way that I coped. Like if I just controlled every single little thing in my life or if I was just able to to do everything by myself, like I would be okay because I'm the captain of the ship. But then you realize that there is a hole in your ship and you can't do anything about that unless you rely on others because you're not going to be the only one who can fix that. Um, There's no way you can fix a sinking ship by yourself. So I released my control and I, so one of the self-care practices that I do personally is I'm constantly talking to my friends and that is so important because talking to your loved ones, even if it's just like to distract yourself from what you're thinking about, you know, just like if you just like send someone a meme, usually that'll spark an entire conversation. And then like second thing is therapy in whatever form, like individual group online in person. I've been doing mine online. So that is so great. And then three, I try to take at least try, (laughs) but I try to take at least one day a week to like reset, recharge, recoup. So that, that would be like my chore day when I like start doing Netflix and stuff. And then like, if I need to write something, if I just need to be productive, but I, but I'm productive at home. I started doing that in college. So, cause I, I would go through these really bad bouts of anxiety and depression because like it sucks because um if you have both but because they they do like cycle into each other but I would have these bouts where I would just like stay in bed for like a day or two (laughs) and I I couldn't do that anymore and it's it still happens because like of course it happens like it's really hard to balance everything but um, if you try to take some time every single week, then they're less likely to happen because you're still you're recharging every single time. Because I I realize that I do need to be held accountable because I'm I'm the one who's doing this to myself. Like sure there are external factors in my life, but I'm the one who like has control over how I react to things, and that was the. The only those were the ways that like I I could feel like I could gain control again. I just had to take a step back, and then I followed my diet a lot. Um, I really like reading about 
the thing like what ingredients and what um, what vitamins, what um, amino acids and what like specific things foods have so that if I'm having like a specific bout of depression or like I'm feeling a certain way, I can see like what foods can increase serotonin levels, things like that. So um, watching my diet really helped because I realized that I was not eating very much. So yeah. So diet, um, talking to friends and therapy. <laughs> I love that. I love it. It all goes back to the kind of that idea of, of staying balanced because you can't, I mean, it's everything is interconnected with, with regards to your like spirit. So mm-hmm. you have to take care of all parts of it too. I definitely have learned a lot. I am a holistic health advisor now. And over the past year, I've learned a lot about how diet and movement affect me and affect everyone. So the things that I do to stay sane um, are <laughs> I, I don't have my phone an hour before or an hour after getting out of bed. I stop like oh. stop reading news, stop scrolling, like grab a book, grab like my journal just like leave everything until until like an hour or so has gotten up because I like am really sensitive to um, my like circadian rhythms. So try to get outside and ground. Um, it's been really beneficial for me, especially now that I live in Florida where it's like super luscious and my backyard is huge and I can go and just like walk around while the dogs sniff around in the morning and, and look at all our plants and stuff like that. So I try and get in like at least 10 minutes of grounding and 20 minutes of just like mindfulness outdoors time. And I, I check the news in a very controlled manner. And I mean, that's, that's pretty much how I navigate technology now is I, I limit it super like severely. Like I turned off all my notifications. So I only check things when it serves me to check them. And that's gotten rid of just a lot of the noise in my life. Like in my mind, because I'm not constantly thinking, you know, as soon as a notification comes up, I have to get back to it. It can just kind of be a, a time I carve out for myself in my day, and then that frees me up to do other things. So, yeah, I mean, I I like to I, I like to manage my day in that way. On another, like more interpersonal level, don't be afraid to lean on people for support. Everyone's going through a hard time right now. And sometimes the best thing you can do is like vent to each other. And I know a lot of people don't have like the privilege of of mental health resources. And so our support network is our first like defense in in kind of combating mental health issues. Our, Our friends and family and whoever we can reach out to, you know, for a shoulder to cry on, for a hand to hold, for a listening ear, those are like... That that's going to be your most important resource. And so I've been like writing letters to a lot of people that I haven't even spoken to in, in a long time, but I'm reconnecting with them because of this pandemic. And I am kind of reaching out and it just kind of makes everyone feel a little bit more connected and a little less panicked that like things might, things are going to be okay. We're going to help get each other through this. And so that's that's what I'd say is my kind of self-care routine. That and a lot of exercise. That's so great. And I love 
that you turn your notifications off too? Because I thought I was crazy. <laughs> oh, I do that too. <laughs> yep. Yeah. There's just so much, yeah. um, especially because we are very active in the community. And, like we're constantly getting like called on and stuff like that. So it's so um, when I was in college, I I had them all on, but I... I turn them off and then I look at them when I want to look at them. And that is gaining control over my, over my technology. (laughs) It's so imperative. So imperative. But yeah, no, I think I, uh, a lot of the things that you ladies do, I do too. Honestly, I turn off my notifications. I also, I'm very mindful about the news that I consume. I don't watch it, but I'll read, you know, I'll read like articles every few days or something just to stay informed, you know, what's happening. And, uh, but my, like my non-negotiable daily rituals are in the morning, I meditate and I usually practice yoga or some form of exercise. And then I journal my gratitude journal. So I just take that moment to just write what I'm grateful for and then also map out what I'm doing for the day. And this is a shout out to Kelly Bennett. I learned this method from her manifest journaling. And then with that too, over the summer, I actually have gotten Reiki level two certified. So part of that is just doing the Reiki on me for a little while until I'm able to do that to others. So that's been another thing that's added to my daily self-care. And in the evenings, I always meditate and I journal as well. And then during the day, then like you said, Rachel, just a lot of exercise. So whether going on a hike or just making sure I have outdoors time to ground down and be with Mother Earth, you know, be with her and, and feel her and feel that connection with plants and the dirt with with all the critters and and that's that's uh, that's helped me tremendously and um and I re- I think I had to let go of the idea I think back in the day I thought taking care of yourself was selfish but like with like the bad connotation and it's crazy because it's like well if you don't take care of yourself back you know what I was mentioning before and what we've been chatting about is like well there's no you then. There's literally no you. If you don't take care of yourself, then you have nothing to offer to yourself or, any, or to anybody. Um, and I think a big piece too has been honoring uh, the flow. So like if whenever I need a rest to do that and to not feel bad about it, to just be like, you know, I have, I need to relax um, and making sure I have that time too to just wind down because I am a very go, go, go type of person. And I've had to like force myself to learn how to just go with the flow. <laughs> I think these past few years I've, I've gotten better at it for sure. And that's definitely what helps me stay afloat. And, uh, and, just, and I think another big piece too is to just be kind to yourself on those days that maybe you feel a little bit more sad or whatever, you know, you might be experiencing and just be gentle and uh, know that the, this too shall pass. Yeah, the guilt is what kills me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I relate to that very, very heavily. Mamie, I think you posted something that was like, it was called, and it was, I had never heard about it like this, but it was internalized capitalism. Did you post that? Post? Oh yeah, yeah. I did. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness, I can, under, I can resonate with that. <laughs> yeah. It, it, and you have this, um, I think we even talked about it in like a, we briefly touched up about it on the podcast before, but like when the pandemic started and everything, like you feel that need to be productive, even though everything is on pause. And mm. that is 
a direct symptom of our capitalistic environment. And I, yeah, um, it, it has taken me a long time to also go with the flow. Um, mm-hmm. Being in Santa Barbara definitely helped with that. I was with a lot of people who, who just went with it and I was not like that at all. Yeah. Ah, that we're learning. (laughs) Yeah, we are. (laughs) And um, yeah, and this goes hand in hand well with the next question I wanted us to chat about is how can we apply all of our internal growth, our self-care that we do to make sure we're sustainable human beings um, into the change that we want to see in our external world, in our community, in our planet. Is any any starting thoughts? This is really random, but um, if you if you go onto my Instagram, I think the first thing that you'll see are flowers, uh, <laughs> and I I think that that's very attuned with what I I want to do is like to see the beauty in the world and to see that like you are part of that and I I think that like my my time in Santa Barbara the first couple years I didn't really go outside I did not enjoy nature as <laughs> like the next two years that was all I did I went to the beach and take my walk and that really reminded me that like I am part of this world and that I I have a place in it. And I think that like all all of the internal happenings that I had, like with therapy and like with talking to my friends, opening up about um, the things that I'm going through, like realizing that everything that I'm going through is going out into the world somehow because I did not like myself as a as a person for a long time. And because I'm able to see myself, I'm able to see that I'm part of this whole ecosystem. And I think that that helped me realize that I can help other people. So what I started doing was just talking to people about things that people aren't normally comfortable talking about. Like my my growth stemmed from being able to talk about like my depression and to be able to talk about like how I, I navigate it. So why can't I talk about that with other people and why can't I share that knowledge with others and in turn they're doing that to themselves and with themselves like what I want to see in this world is the beauty in it I and I also want people to see the beauty in it because I remember when I did not see it or it came in glimpses in the people that I love when I would like go on hikes, just those those small moments where um, where I get to be out of, I feel like I'm out of my body, I'm out of my mind. But I want to see a world where you can be in your body and in your mind and understand that like everything is still beautiful. <laughs> So I, I think that like practicing self-care, um, going out into nature, like lessening your waste, um, even, even just like in, in your room, like you, you understand that like having everything like in disorder or like having a lot of trash and everything, it makes you feel bogged down. So if 
like you can think of that in like such a small sense, like just with yourself, like um, think of it in a bigger sense of like your city and the world, like all of that waste, whether it's mental or physical or like just objects that that affects you. And I think that like that that waste, that fog is something that I, I want to see dissipate. And I think that that starts with the self. Um, so it it's all, I think that when you realize self-awareness, it can make you so much more aware of everything else. So I, I think that that's the way that you could like apply it to the external. Because like everything that you learn will come out somehow. Just like everything that you learn from your parents, from your teachers, everything around you. So you are an outlet for other people as well. It's all connected. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) It absolutely is. And I think the only thing I have to say on top of that, because you you said pretty much it all, but I think if you've like received a service or kind of like a resource or, you know, support that helped you, I would say advocate for that that service to be made acceptable or accessible to everyone else because there's a lot of like phenomenon of kicking the ladder behind you after you've climbed up when you receive something and and don't recognize it as a privilege and i think that's something i've tried to be really conscious of is making making resources accessible to everyone making making sure that structures are in place that i benefited from because i was i was privileged enough to and making sure that you're not advocating for a, a successful resource if it's not accessible to everyone if it's only accessible to a certain class a certain race like a certain like social standing it's it's not accessible that's something i've tried really hard to advocate for just kind of like looking and being like, hey, I benefited from this. Maybe there's someone else in my situation who did worse because they didn't have that resource, especially with mental health resources, because it is absolutely unequal in how those are presented and how those are advertised and how effective they are and how well people are treated when they use those resources, or even if they're stigmatized by using those resources. Like look at look at the structures that helped you grow and see what you can do see what you can change about them to make them even better. Because if they helped you, they're obviously doing something right, but they could be helping a lot more people if, if, you know, it just takes a couple tweaks even some of the time. No, absolutely. And I love that you said that because I feel like as an organization, um, that's one of the things we want to help bridge, right? With like the events and workshops that we, that we do is to bring meditation, bring these practices that have helped us to the community space where maybe someone had never heard of meditation before or, or something of that matter. So absolutely to give back, give back and, and bring awareness to, uh, to what's helped you and to break the stigma. I think one of my favorite things, kind of like what you've accomplished, Mimi, with um, therapy and your family. Um, like I mentioned earlier, I started with therapy when I was 18 and just slowly at it. And I was the first one, I would say, in my immediate family ever that wanted therapy. And I, I love it and I advocate for it. And, you know, at first my family definitely had like the stigma with it and maybe some of them still do, but slowly but surely uh, realizing like, that it helped like, okay, have think what you want, but this stuff actually helps you. (laughs) 
So like, yeah, speaking out about it, offering it when possible are the mis- are definitely the ingredients for change when it comes to this topic. So, so yeah, I love it. <laughs> it is definitely, um, Rachel, I'm so glad that you, you touched upon that these resources are privileged and they shouldn't be. No, they, should they really should not be because mm-hmm. I I don't think I I was like I was lucky and I'm grateful that I was able to go to college but like that resource of caps mm-hmm. that was um something that was pushed by students and um so is our um water bottle filtration system like water everywhere everybody's able to access it mm-hmm. um things like that like we are the ones who will be making the change and i and it is definitely like we're we're realizing that and we're aware of it and we can make those things available to others i'm so glad that you touched upon that and stop me and this ties in well now with like the last point um to talk briefly about the election that's upon us and just to to talk about, you know, that people's voices do matter. Your voice does matter and the importance. Oh my God, please vote. vote. (laughs) Oh my God, please. I am begging just vote. You can register online. Like you could just Google, but can you, can you imagine like in, in the past, how hard it was to register to vote and like you had to do everything by paper and like mail and everything, but you could do it online. We have this incredible resource and we have these great websites that show the platforms and the policies and the, the props that we might be able to vote on this this year. Like you could look up your ballot and what the ballot's going to be looking like. Just Google it. Just put into the Google like what my ballot looks like in the state or when is when is voting day? We actually have early voting in Nevada starts next month. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Google is a great resource. Definitely use that if you and I registered to vote in through my driver's license, but I rechecked it and it took me like 30 seconds to a minute. So it doesn't take very much time. No, it doesn't <laughs> not at all. And then even, I mean, don't wait till last minute, but you can even vote. On, I mean, you can even register to vote on election day. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of avenues, but, and I know I've felt this at times throughout my life where you, you think, what is my voice? How does it really matter? It does matter. You, you take up space on this planet, just like me, just like everyone on this podcast, just like everybody on this earth you know you matter and because you're here then that you are worthy and your voice is worthy and your vote is worthy so please vote people please 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 (laughs) you can go on vote.gov and yeah just just please please vote and and of course your state the way your state whatever is going on in your state definitely matters and locally matters all of it matters so let's let's just just let's use our power that we that so many people before us had to fight, especially us as women. You know what women had to go through to even get the fact get, get us to be able to to vote and it be legal. So and making and and bring honor to that all the struggle that came before us. Yeah, and if you're able to, um, I know that there's a shortage of poll workers, so register to be a poll worker. If as long as, you know, you're able to fulfill those duties, that's that's severely needed right now. And please, for the love of God, vote. 
<laughs> and if you're not comfortable voting in person on election day, you can do a mail-in ballot. I personally am going to be physically there. I want to make sure my vote is in. <laughs> but, you know, that's my personal choice. But like I said, there's 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 mail-in mail -in voting and there's just lots of lots of ways. So They also give you the information of where you can drop your um, mail-in ballot online. Um, that is that information is available to you. And I just want to say that it has been exactly a hundred years since women got the right to vote. Because <laughs> it happened in 1920. It is 2020, y'all. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Yeah, that's that's also the anniversary of when white women got the right to vote because oh, all right. women didn't get the right <laughs> to vote right. till 1965. So this is... Um, important every election is important mm -hmm. because the these rights are so relatively new oh all right ladies well, <laughs> yeah everyone get out to vote <laughs> and then also just like kind of the things that we chatted about doing little small things that go but that, are, that aren't really that small like like Mamie's impact in her family or just offering like Rachel mentioned offering a service that's helped you um, in your community or to your family, all those things matter because it's all connected. We're all connected. So no matter what positive change you want to do, no matter how small it might look, there is a ripple effect. Just want to say that. Do you ladies have any closing thoughts before we sign off? Thank you for listening and please, please, please vote. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, please vote. And yeah, thank you everyone listening and please leave us a rating and a review and subscribe. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. We love uh, doing this. It's really fun for us, but we want to keep keep making sure that what you're listening to is what you want to hear too so like leave us a review so thank you everybody and we'll talk soon bye